And I just thought, I can't imagine a universe in which Jack Nicholson has a face that's considered trustworthy for anything, let alone the news. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another hard-hitting, rigorously investigated episode of Cinema Ball, the film competition show that strives to be fair and balanced while also being completely biased in its randomness. I'm Ebony Astor, and I'm joined by my primetime co-anchor and opponent, Carolyn Pettit. Hey, Carolyn. Hey, Ebony. (laughs) This is episode 13, the fifth entry in our second round. Cinema Ball is a ridiculous excuse for Carolyn and I to talk about movies. That's it. That is the whole point. If you are looking for some deeper meaning, you will not find it. Our picks are random, and so are my opinions. In this round, Carol is playing some pretty unassailable defense, trying to prevent me from reaching my goal film, The Legend of Billie Jean. At the end of last week's episode, Carolyn hitched her pony to the always dynamic performances of Holly Hunter and ran through the control room clutching a copy of Broadcast News. It's one of her favorite films and one I had never seen before because I am a simple, uncultured soul. Not unlike Tom Grunick. <laughs> At the end of our discussion, I may just blow Carol's mind with an old favorite of my own. So stay tuned to find out what garbage sock I'm going to toss on the heap. We'll get into broadcast news shortly, but first, it's time for a new segment we call Cinema Ball Update. Carolyn, take it away. Thanks, Ebony. Cinema Ball Update is a new segment where we bring you the latest news about movies we've already discussed on Cinema Ball. Now, you might think there wouldn't be breaking news about most of the movies we talk about on this show, and you'd generally be right, but this past week proved to be an exception. Ebony, you and I recently talked about Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's (laughs) Dracula. Sorry, just kidding for that title. (laughs) Yeah, and um, so, you know... Here's uh, an interesting uh, tidbit about that film that has recently uh, emerged. This emerged as Winona and Keanu, who play uh, 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 wedded a wedded couple that is not destined to be. They are not the star-crossed lovers fated for each other, uh, but they are nonetheless married in the course of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, While doing a promotion for their uh, new upcoming romantic comedy together, Winona Ryder uh, sort of lets slip that she thinks that she and Keanu might sort of kind of actually be (laughs) married. And here's the reasoning and thinking behind this. After the initial filming on Dracula concluded, uh, Coppola was not happy with the stylized wedding scene that he had originally filmed. And so he uh, reshot that that scene for the movie at an Orthodox church, at a Greek Orthodox church in Los, Ange- in Los Angeles with an actual priest. And um, so they a- they actually essentially performed like a real wedding ceremony, and and <laughs> so, so and so you know Winona said about this like we actually got married in Dracula. No, I swear to God, I think we're married in real life. In that scene, Francis used a real Romanian priest. We shot the master, and he did the whole thing. So I think we're married. 
Now, so just a I, wonderful. I absolutely love this. Like, yeah, it's such a I great. Mean, it's it's story. ludicrous, right? But I love the yeah. idea that they have just been married this whole time. I mean, my mind yep. was blown today by the news that Daryl Hannah and Neil Young apparently quietly got married, and they did that shit on purpose. But I, I love the idea that Winona and Keanu, two, I don't know. There's something so ineffably like alien about the two of them yeah. have just yeah. been, you know, yeah, you know, and just a paragon yeah. of domestic bliss since, uh, you know, 90, yeah. 93 or whenever uh, Dracula came out. So this is actually uh, the upcoming film is going to be their fourth uh, film together. They were both in Dracula. They mm-hmm. were both in a scanner darkly. Yeah. They were in a third film, the name of which is escaping me now that I'd never, I don't think I'd ever even heard of before. And this film, and this is the first time that they're actually going to be playing like uh, kind of lovers or, you know, rom- a romantic pairing that's actually supposed to have like uh-huh. sparks you know, as opposed to Dracula, where I think Jonathan Harker, Keanu's character, is supposed to be kind of a wet noodle. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it, 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 if that works, right? Seeing if these two give off give off actual chemistry. You know, Keanu, we've talked about this um, both on Cinema Ball, but then also on the Mothership, Feminist Frequency Radio. But there's yeah. something about Keanu's um, kind of affect now that he's gotten older. And I'm not mm-hmm. the only one who thinks this, by the way, America. People <laughs> have taken me to task for only getting interested in people, uh, certain actors, once they get older. Tom Cruise, for instance. But there is definitely something about Keanu, the older Keanu. There's like, I don't know, a certain depth to him and a certain like freedom um, to, I don't know, like there's something about him that kind of crackles with energy now in a way that he seemed much more laid back as as a youth. Um, So, yo, Winona, happy, let me know where y'all are registered. Happy to contribute. (laughs) Yeah. Join us uh, on next week's Cinema Ball update when we'll bring you all the latest on Hard Target. (laughs) (laughs) I would love it if you had some Hard Target updates. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. I would especially love it if you didn't have to dig deep for them, you know, but just like something between now and next week happened. Yeah, And you were like, well, Ah, here's the news. I got I got some rattlesnake punching news. Gotta let yeah. the people know. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So, no. Caro, now that we've yeah. had our Cinema Ball update, tell us a little bit about Broadcast News. Absolutely. So, Broadcast News is a 1987 uh, romantic comedy drama uh, written and directed by uh, James L. Brooks. And uh, interest, you know, it's it's largely set in the newsroom of the Washington Bureau of a fictional uh, uh, TV network. Um, and, you know, uh, one thing you definitely have to remember when watching this film, or keep in mind as we discuss it, is that this is a time... You know, in the late 80s or, you know, before the cable news onslaught, before the 24-hour news cycle, when people, like, across America really, you know, sat down with either with Tom Brokaw or Dan Rather or uh, maybe uh, Peter Jennings, Jennings, you know, Mm -hmm. and got their news. And so uh, James L. Brooks, so this is a film that reflects, you know, a bygone era in a sense. And in uh, researching and preparing for it, Brooks uh, spent a lot of time interviewing and, uh, you know, collaborating with a woman um, named um, Suzanne, Susan Zerinsky, who who herself started uh, at the, uh, the Washington, D.C. Bureau of 
CBS News when she was 20 and uh, has been um, sort of, you know, had like, an, in a sense, a kind of meteoric rise within within the ranks and has now been, um, I believe, the executive producer of CBS's uh, news magazine show 48 Hours oh. for, you know, some 20 plus years. And so it was really from her that uh, that uh, Brooks got a lot of the details that I think inform um, this story and and certainly that shaped the character of Jane Craig, who is played by Holly Hunter in her like one two punch of 1987 performances, this and Raising Arizona, mm-hmm. that I think really sort of established her as a as a you know sort of remarkable actor in I you know I, I would never I don't think she's ever been a star like in the box office sense but she's certainly been like a very respected you know acting talent yeah. and um, I think it was this year that really that year that really put her on the map in that sense yeah and so of course it the the the, the general plot of the film uh, concerns a, uh, a a love triangle between uh, Jane Craig played by Holly Hunter the role was originally supposed to be, be played Played by Deborah Winger, but uh, she was pregnant. She got pregnant, and so she, I think, stepped out of the role, allowing Holly Hunter to te- to step in. And now it's it's really impossible for me to ma- to imagine anyone but Holly Hunter in that mm-hmm. role. Um, she has a there's a she gets in, <laughs> embroiled in a kind of love triangle that brings up all kinds of uh, moral and ethical issues because uh, you know. She is adored by her colleague Aaron Altman, uh, played by Albert Brooks, and you know the two of them are, are very much of the same mind when it comes to holding television news to a, a, a certain ethical standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but she finds herself romantically drawn to newcomer to their bureau, Tom Grunick, played by William Hurt, who is. Um, as um, the critic Carrie Rickey uh, puts it in uh, in the essay she wrote to accompany this film in the Criterion Collection release, um, Tom Grunick is essentially the the dumb blonde of the film, um, right? He he's a, a pretty face. He's exactly what the network wants, you know, in terms of looks, uh, but he doesn't have the ethical substance or really even the um the the knowledge of the the knowledge that one expects or or that certainly that Jane and Aaron expect a uh, a news anchor to to have um he's just not that bright mm-hmm. when it comes to you know understanding polit- the you know the the pol- the political realities of the world and things like that and so for me there's really two fascinating axes on which this film can be discussed and they intersect in the film, but they also, um, you know, illuminate, uh, kind of things on their own. One is, um, the, the standards that we do hold, uh, sort of broadcast or, or I would say today, um, also print and, um, and internet, you know, journalism to, um, you know, this film captures a, a moment like, before a sort of tremendous kind of uh, maybe down down uh, precarious kind of slip down a cliff of uh, of of standards in that area but it also i think forces us to think about the intersection between personal and professional ethics and our personal 
lives, right? As these people have to figure out, you know, as Jane has to figure out, like, can she love Tom while kind of knowing that he doesn't share her ethical sensibilities, right? And um, which has always been a fascinating topic for me personally. And, you know, I think about how in recent years, um, like, um, there was a talk that uh, uh, Bell Hooks had with Laverne Cox at the New School in New York um, a few years ago. And one fascinating element of that conversation is Bell Hooks sort of talking about how, you know, she's this single, you know, older woman, and she's looking for partnership in her life. And she sort of admits to herself, you know, that that maybe it's possible to, for her to find a connection, a real deep, you know, meaningful connection with a man who does not share her, um, her like, political ethos. And there's, you know, also like a great moment in the film, The Punk Singer, um, about, uh, is it Kathleen Hanna? Um, yeah. I think it's Kathleen Hanna, you know, where, where she talks about, um, you know, falling in love with, with one of the Beastie Boys and, like, how she was this feminist, uh, you know, very, like, committed feminist artist, and she was hanging out with, you know, one of the guys who wrote the song Girls, Girls, Girls with li- lyrics like Girls to do the laundry, you know, Girls to clean up my mm-hmm. room, this extremely misogynistic song, and yet... She couldn't, like she said, but I, there's no way I was not going to hang out with him because the, of the connection they had. And, and you know, it's just that complex space where, you know, how important are our, our professional ethics in, in our personal relationships, right? So yeah. anyway, there's just, there's just so much, so much insightful and fascinating stuff in this film. And in my mind, it's all uh, dealt with in a way that is so sparkling and witty and smart and insightful that, you know, it also, it it really works as just this involving workplace romantic drama, but it also has like all these layers to it. Speaking of the ending where um, Jane recognizes the kind of ethical misstep that Tom has made and then goes to confront him at the airport. I was so glad that, in another movie, I won't say a lesser movie, but I'm thinking it, but in another mm-hmm. movie, she absolutely would have forgiven him. Yes. And she would have, the the way that the film would have sort of danced around that ethical breach and uh, his, you know, their, their sort of misalignment in terms of, um, you know, ethics and integrity is that, you know, we would have been given to understand that through her influence, he would grow and become better and recognize that he had made a mistake. And so she would have been the vehicle for his emotional growth. The fact that we didn't get that in this movie made me so happy. There was never a question, um, or at least we don't see her questioning, you know, um, whether she's going to go to the airport, not in any real way. It is, yeah. in, it is inconceivable to her that someone could do this. She holds um, the what she does, her, her job, she considers it so vital, so sacred, that what Tom has done, perhaps to an outsider, might not look that bad, particularly in this, um, this sort of hyper-manipulated media landscape we live in now. You know, 
there yeah. there might be a moment of thinking like, ah, is it is it that bad? Oh, you know, he was, absolutely he did feel bad in the interview, so who cares if he you know right. kind of faked crying in that moment? He was going to cry, right? And this is what Tom himself says. Um, but there is something you know qualitatively different, and and Jane knows that, and so the fact that she didn't sort of surrender um, to the the kind of fantasy of being with Tom. Um, the kind of like, you know, devil may care, just fly off to the tropics with all of your clothes on you and don't even bring a suitcase. You know, the fact that she doesn't yeah. was, was amazing to me. Um, yeah. and, and so wonderful. And it did feel so authentic because had she made a different decision, it would have felt false to me and dishonest to who she was. Right. I, I agree. And so, um, you know, as you say, like today, newsrooms, <laughs> might not react that way. And in fact, like, so there's a commentary track on uh, the Criterion release of this film in which James L. Brooks says, um, uh, there isn't a newsroom today, you know, operating that would, in which Jane Craig's standards would fly. Like, he he believes that that just, that era just doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, However, interestingly, um, and I don't know, uh, I think this may have been the result of like, initial focus testing or something but interestingly um like uh, sometime after the original shooting had wrapped um and they put together like the initial cut they actually did film an alternate ending or you know that was maybe going to be the actual ending in which after jane gets in the jane gets in the cab uh, at the airport right after having her mm-hmm. little confrontation with tom and saying like i'm not i'm not going with you in which Tom himself does not get on the plane, but instead, like, gets in the cab with her, uh, uh, you know, as right before she's about to drive away and continues, like, pleading with her to, like, you know, to, like, forgive him and be, and be with him. Thankfully, yeah. I mean, which shows, like, some commitment, I, I hate guess. It. On, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, thankfully, that's not, that's not what happened. Um, but, you know, there's also a part of me that feels like for all the ways in which, um, you know, we can say that the media has changed uh, since the release of this film, there are also ways in which it still feels very perceptive and apt. And, you know, like, there's a line in this film that is so key to me. Um, where, uh, so Jane and Aaron are, uh, they're reporting, um, from, they're like, uh, embedded with these like Sandinistas, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, some fighting, some shooting breaks out, you know, and Aaron records like a off the cuff spur of the moment, like special report, uh, to send back to, you know, to be broadcast. And as soon as they cut, Aaron says, I can't believe I just risked my life for a network that tests my face with focus groups. Yeah. And, you know, and that, like, so, uh, like, obviously, I'm not, not to say that uh, there's any comparison uh, between video game journalism and, like, actual <laughs> gl- geopolitical journalism of the sort that Jane and, and Aaron and Tom are involved with in this film. And yet, like, certainly, like, at, at you know, my previous job, like they they did run like focus groups and focus tests and things Ugh. like that and and the idea that like that like you know my whatever i had to had to offer journalistically uh you know or or from you know might be kind of uh 
sidelined or that I might be let go or, or whatever because, you know, I didn't test well with audiences. Mm-hmm. Like, that was, um, you know, a legitimate, like, that left a, a, a nasty taste in my mouth, right? Just the thought of that. Yeah. And so, and and so, like, this, that, there's that inextricable, that inextricable link between in in broadcast or even you know video you know journalism between like appearance and substance or or mm-hmm. you cannot you like people viewers are, are looking at the anchors right and some in on some level that is making you know some kind of impression on them positive or negative and the people who make decisions about who who reads us the news, you know, do a lot of thinking about what does this person look like, yeah. right? Jane, uh, it, Jane Craig, uh, Holly Connor's character, is sort of subject to this, too. We, uh, you know, we see her um, early on. She's giving a talk at, a, at an event for, you know, newscasters, right? And her whole um, agenda at the, the talk is... A, a, a crusade against the increasing um, uh, in, infotainmentizing of of the news, right? She um, she shows a clip of uh, of like dominoes being knocked over, uh, and you know, and says like this is what all you know all these networks aired on the night that they should have been talking about the mm-hmm. the like salt the salt to nuclear disarmament talks, and the audience burst into applause they love it and she's you know but and she's like saying no no like what you should be wanting to provide substance and like the news of the day to your to your viewers but there's a woman in the crowd who's who's sitting with tom at the time and she says to tom something like oh you know it's so sad uh you know i see this all the time a woman doesn't like her looks and so she she's angry and like i think holly hunter is beautiful in this film Mm -hmm. but it's also true that she doesn't have maybe the kind of blonde statuesque white woman beauty that would make her a a top candidate for like an anchor or co-anchor position and there's also been like that uh aspect you know to to my involvement in in media too, of of like, well, when I when I call out these standards of, or like when I call out how oh, so much is based on appearance, you know, do people think I'm just doing that because there are ways in which I can't succeed, you know, in, in that system, mm-hmm. and you know, and am I doing this because there are ways in which I just can't succeed in that system, right? It's all this stuff is so is just so complicated, and I think this film does such a great job of of cutting to the to the heart of it yeah absolutely i i actually i had to laugh though um <clears throat> when you mentioned the uh <laughs> when aaron says you know i can't believe i'm doing this for a network that you know um tests my face with focus groups because i immediately thought like did they what focus group would have approved jack nicholson's face so jack nicholson plays <laughs> the the primetime anchor you know the big shot um, yes. In this film. And I just thought, I can't imagine a universe in which Jack Nicholson has a face that's considered trustworthy. Right. <laughs> or anything, right. let alone the right. news. That was, that's just a, a, a meta commentary. Um, but yeah, I think certainly, I mean, let's uh, peel back the curtain a bit here on feminist frequency um, rather than Cinema Ball specifically. This latest season of um, The Freak Show. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and so this is something that I've started doing with the team, and it's been fantastic. But as a writer and as a um, academic, I was completely unprepared—not intellectually, but sort of, you know, emotionally—for the way that you are graded visually, incessantly. Yes. You know, yes. even by people who uh, who uh, claim, who deeply believe. Uh, that they are somehow on your side or that they are sympathetic to what you were saying. It, is, it seems to be almost impossible for, for folks not to advance an opinion, um, a sort of checklist of things you should be doing appearance-wise to get your message across. And it's always couched in, you know, if they think they're sympathetic, you know, I'm just saying this um, to help you. I think you should know this. And if they're not on your side, right. it's, you know, fuck you. Um and then, you know, the slurs follow uh, and whatever. But yeah, just, you know, the when you, you talked at the top of the show about or the top of the discussion about how we no longer sit down and watch the evening news anymore, um, which is not to say that we're not still getting the news. We're just getting it in different ways. But the right, we're, of, we're, if anything, you know, we're more we're more exposed now mm-hmm. than we were then, right? A lot of us were getting news fed to us constantly on the 24-hour news cycle. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, uh, except for, you know, certain cable news personalities, the kind of visual component uh, that used to be there, you know, the the, the standard primetime anchor model, like the Tom Brokaw, the, the Peter Jennings, the Dan Rathers, that sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the... It, there was a there was a very similar mold there, right? Like this white, middle-aged, um, uh, upper middle class, you know, um, educated kind of persona, right? That was affected. That's that's uh-huh. less in play now um, in in our news. And it, so it was really interesting for me to to go back and watch, or I should say, watch this for the first time because I had never seen this film before. And just to it, let me walk you through my reaction to this movie because this movie made me profoundly anxious okay and i need to watch it again and really kind of reckon with what made me anxious but i can identify two things off the top of my head two the pressure that holly hunter was under as the producer made me sick to my stomach Mm -hmm. i couldn't handle being in that kind of work environment when they're up against the clock trying to find the exact turn of phrase or the exact piece of footage that they need, you know, to, 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 uh, to, to craft a story for whatever reason, I, I almost had to stop it. I was, I, I can't handle, um, that kind of high pressure workplace drama. So yeah. and, and, and in the way that she did it so gracefully and without breaking a sweat you just knew she was in her element there Mm -hmm. was never a question that she knew what was right what would be best what would play well um and she never questioned herself it was magnificent to watch she's still you know a fairly young woman uh at this time she's in a control room in an industry that is predominantly then and now uh, male dominated and yet she never shrinks herself. She never hesitates to advocate for what she wants and to demand it. Um, And it was thrilling to watch. While at the same time, I was thinking if this was my job, I would not last a day. I wouldn't last before lunch. 
Seriously, like I would not have been able to take it. The second thing that brought me anxiety about this movie, and I should make it clear, I'm not saying I didn't like the movie, I'm just talking about the anxiety. No, no, that's of course, that's fine. Because there's no way that I could not enjoy a film (laughs) that starts with uh, Albert Brooks as a young man being tormented after graduation and then cursing his attackers uh, with, (laughs) you will never know the pleasure of writing a graceful sentence. I just thought, oh, I'm all in. I'm all in. But speaking of Aaron Altman, he made me so uncomfortable because while I, I and I, I do think that the, the film does not let him off the hook, but. Oh, yeah. He's uh, such an asshole. He, he is. And, you know, the way he um, goes about doing the kind of nice guy shuffle around Jane playing upon the fact that they do have this very deep and intimate um, workplace and friend connection. Like they are, they are very similar, you know, as you said earlier, um, they, they share the kind of same high standards and they laugh at the same kind of jokes and they care so deeply about each other. But the fact that Aaron, you know, seems to have trouble, real trouble, and in fact, not seems, does have real trouble dealing with the fact that he is not the object of Jane's, like, you know, sexual attraction. And in fact, lashes out at her aggressively when yeah. she says that that she is, you know, like, I, I just found it so horrifying to watch, probably because yeah. I have been conditioned by so much media to expect that that is the guy who usually ends up getting the girl, even though he behaves in such an abominable way. And so thank God that did not happen. But there was a part of me that was holding my breath because I was so afraid that at the end of the movie, there would be some sort of rapprochement and that, you know, she wouldn't end up with Tom, but she would end up with Aaron and it would turn out that, you know, we would be encouraged to see his behavior as um, as the, you know, sort of bad behavior of someone who is just deeply romantic or just very passionate. But I, the movie does not let him off the hook. Thank goodness. Yeah. And, and I think this is one of those films where the portrayals of the characters are so complex that mm-hmm. like. For me, there's no here ambiguity about like depiction equaling endorsement. Like it's mm-hmm. not it's not saying it's not as you say it's not letting Aaron off the hook. Like it's not, and I think that it's that the way he behaves, you know, I think the scene in which he and Jane have their big confrontation, it just all rings so true. It rings so true to me mm-hmm. that kind of intellectual sparring that goes mm-hmm. on because because he starts uh, Aaron starts talking about how he what he says is Tom is the devil and and what he you know he says you know the devil if he comes along isn't going to be somebody who like is actually outwardly evil you know he's he'll he'll be nice he'll he'll you know he'll never hurt a living thing he'll just lower our standards where it matters you know a little bit mm-hmm. and to me like like the the whole my whole thing with Aaron in this movie is like I'm always like dude you are not wrong like yeah. you are a hundred percent right you're being a complete asshole about the way that you say it and communicate mm-hmm. it but you are absolutely right like and that's what it, that's part of what makes this movie so deliciously complex to me is Aaron gets way too much pleasure out of being out of being smarter than Tom right yes. there's a scene where where um 
he he asks Tom, like, okay, you know, do, do you know the, the names of the members of cabinet? Yeah. And, you know, and and Tom's like, I'm not going to get into this with you. I'm not going to play your little games. And he's like, no, no, you don't have to name them. I just, you know, let's say I had, let's say I blanked on their names. <laughs> and I was like, hey, gosh, Tom, I blanked on the cabinet's names. Would you be able to, you know, would you know them? Would you be able to help me? And Tom's like, yes, Aaron, I know the names of the cabinet. And mm-hmm. he's like, all 12? Tom's like, yes, Aaron, all 12. And he's like, there's only 10. And, yeah. you know, he just, you just see how much pleasure he takes mm-hmm. in, in, in showing Tom that he knows that Tom doesn't really know anything. And it's, it's so, it's so fucked up. Yeah. I, I, from the, the beginning of the film where we see Aaron and Tom um, as children, you know? <laughs> so we see Aaron graduating uh, from high school early. I think he's like 15 or 16, you know, yeah. giving that very triumphant sort of like, you know, uh, you couldn't beat me down you, or you, you couldn't keep me down. Ultimately, I'm the bigger person and I'm really going to make something of myself. And you see uh, a much younger Tom, you know, kind of ashamedly admitting to his dad that his grades are not good and just like sincerely expressing a desire that he can get better and that he will do better. He will do better. He will try harder. Um, So there's a, there's a through line from that, those two moments so that when we see Aaron, you know, performing that kind of like masculine jockey and taking pleasure out of humiliating Tom in that moment. It's very much of a piece with what he was trying to do when he was younger, right? Like recognizing that there's a certain amount of social capital and a certain kind of social status he will never possess. Um, But what he does have is, you know, just an amazing brain. And he will use that to, you know, kind of play the same power games, unfortunately, that the men he despises does. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's another scene I, I want to talk about, too, um, that, that's uh, crucial in the film, and that is the scene where... Um, so, uh, this news story breaks, uh, like, a Libyan fighter jet uh, attacks, like, an American military base or something, and they have to scramble to do, you know, like, a special report, and... Tom is pegged to anchor, you know, to to anchor the report, Uh, not Aaron, right? And uh, Aaron is, in fact, said told to go home, and um, and Holly Hunter, like Jane, uh, uh, sort of um, uh, Jane campaigns for Aaron to get that position, right? Uh, But with but the head of the news division. just, you know, doesn't listen to her and goes with Tom. And so Jane is in this position where she has to, like, feed lines to Tom and feed information to Tom. And um, this is basically, like, the big sex scene in the Mm -hmm. film, right? It's not, obviously, it's not literally a sex scene. But, like, as Jane is sort of, you know, quote-unquote, in in Tom's head, and she's, like, feeding him the, the information... You know, and and like you see her fingers kind of brushing over the buttons uh, up in the control room at times playfully. And it just like it does such a the scene just does such a fantastic job of giving you a sense of like that chemistry that the two of these people are finding with each other in that process and in that moment of them working together in this intimate way. And that, you know, that's where 
you know, I think the real uh, shift for Jane starts to happen where, where despite all of her like reservations about Tom's uh, sort of lack of credentials, his lack of, you know, knowledge uh, that she starts to really, really feel attracted to him. And I just, I just think that scene is, yeah, is so masterful at the way that it does that. Yeah. I, excuse me. I think the film is so smart about creating in Tom a character that you feel you don't question the tr- the attraction that Jane has for him. He's not simply, you know, an empty suit. He's not simply a pretty face. He absolutely is is not as smart as you know, as educated as you know, insightful um, as as Aaron is. But he's not a nobody. He's not a nothing. His his skills, such as they are, uh, are not empty skills. And so you know, the when Tom decides to do a story like his first story on his own that's about you know date rape and and sexual assault and gets all this pushback from it primarily from the male members of staff but then draws these you know like this emotional reaction from many of the women on staff you know um it's it's one of the moments where we we see that no there is something there you know, he absolutely is not at Jane's level. He's not at Aaron's level. And it's debatable whether he ever could be at their level, no matter how hard he tried and how hard he'd studied. But nevertheless, you know, he's not completely unworthy um, of, of Jane's attention. And in fact, you know, I, I wondered throughout the film where it was going to go. Because as I said, you know, I've been conditioned by so much media to assume that like the kind of, you know, underdog, um, friend zoned guy was going to be the one that ultimately gets chosen, who gets rewarded for essentially, you know, putting friendship tokens in the, um, the, the lady robot. But there was also a way in which I could see Tom, um, being the, the final choice, just because that attraction was so honestly and, you know, um, sort of intensely conveyed. Like he was so simple and sincere and until the end, and we know what he has done, seemed so honest. You know, you can see the attraction of something, uh, of somebody like that um, for, Absolutely. for Jane. And and so the, the, the film ends with this, seven year jump into the future uh you know where we where we sort of re rejoin the three you know long after this kind of love triangle between them has has ended and they each kind of have their own personal lives now uh Aaron is married Tom is a fiance Jane is seeing some guy who's you know works at the surgeon general's office and is getting her into water skiing or something and um and you know as Tom is except so Tom is um about to get promoted to you know the the lead anchor role like the the position Mm -hmm. that jack nicholson has held throughout the film they offered him the position and he's like and he replied that you know he he he's honored or happy thrilled to be take the anchor position but he doesn't want to be the managing editor and for tom like that's that's an ethical statement because he knows he doesn't have the 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 right he knows he's not the right person to do that, right? He knows right. he doesn't have the skill to do that. And so there is in Tom throughout the film, I think from that like child, you know, that that childhood vision at the very beginning to this moment at the end, there is like a a, a, a uh, 
always an attempt on his part to to do what is best within his own limitations yeah. to some to some degree, you know. Um, so and and that maybe maybe there's something admirable in that. Yeah, it was it was it was hard for me. Although I absolutely understood, <clears throat> excuse me, Jane's um, reason for for not going with Tom, and I I understood that um, the importance of her sticking by her principles. Um, weirdly, well, maybe not so weirdly, I just, I was left with so much more kind of warm feeling for Tom Mm -hmm. than I was for Aaron. Um, there was something, just an edge of bitterness that I don't know if it was actually there, if I was just imagining it and, you know, projecting, I don't know, but there just still still seemed to be a a hint, maybe more than a hint of bitterness in Uh Aaron that, was distasteful huh. to me in a way that like I didn't feel as if he experienced really any growth. Um, That's really, in- yeah, I, I, I do see that. I mean, I, I, so, so I definitely like, it's, it's interesting that you say this about Tom because like, um, I mean, there are aspects of all three of these central characters that I relate to. Like I mm-hmm. see myself to some degree in, in all of them. And that's part of what makes my relationship with this film. So, uh, uh, so pleasurable in a lot of ways but but certainly like uh, like I have to admit I have a lot of I have a lot of sympathy for Aaron um because you know I definitely know what it is to be the person who has the unrequited love and um you know even for someone that you know you consider a close friend and and I guess I feel like you know he's so um kind of cruel to her in that in in the final scene that they uh the final moment that jane and aaron spend together before kind of parting ways after they've after the mass layoffs and Mm -hmm. you know everyone's kind of doing their own thing and going their separate ways but but it's like and again I, i feel like the film is not endorsing his behavior i feel like i feel like you know it it's shitty behavior it's it really is but um it comes from a place like he just can't be vulnerable around yeah. Jane right then because he's so wounded by the fact that they aren't going to be together. And, and, and then, so we jump forward and, and yeah, he's still like, he's the part of Aaron. You're right. That Aaron has never moved past the part of him that just takes pleasure in being smarter than other people, mm-hmm. because we still, we see him, even getting his child to make fun of of Tom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he now has this young son, and they make fun of Tom. But, um, but uh, I at the same time, like I love that the film ends with Jane and Aaron, you know, on this bench together talking about their lives now he's talking about his wife getting a new job and how his work is going and 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 asks from a genuine place of interest not a place of like jealousy anymore or guardedness Mm -hmm. but asks like oh you know who's this guy you're seeing like how's that going yeah i just love that that it ends that like um that that what endures you know is the friendship between the two of them ultimately like uh, you know that just makes me so happy yeah, I I loved it, and I, I. This is why I say I need to go back and and watch the film again because there's so much that I need to uh, 
really think about, you know, some more. And, and the ending is, is part of that, that tag, excuse me, because there's a, there's a part of me that is glad that Holly Hunter, that the James L. Brooks did not choose to leave her kind of dangling at the end. Not that women need a partner, right? You know, <laughs> not that we need like heterosexual validation, but I did want the suggestion that, you know, yes. Okay. Being in a relationship is important to her. Um, but her, her job is always going to be more important to her. I don't think there's a question that, that that's the case and that she's unafraid to, um, to be ambitious and to be smart and to be, to, to move forward and to take on new challenges, but also unafraid to be like, no, to be the same woman that would, you know, cheekily, um, you know, slip condoms into her purse before the white house correspondence dinner. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I can't wait yeah. to watch this film again. And and yeah. don't get me wrong. Like when I say that I had warmer feelings for Tom um, over Aaron at the end, you, I'm absolutely the kind of idiot who would, you know, be in the focus group and be like, eh, like this <laughs> anchor over this anchor. Like I'm just as susceptible to like the yeah. pretty face as other, not that there's anything wrong with Albert sure. Brooks, you know, right? But you know, like how much of that is me, um, not truly understanding how much like appearance goes into the, you know, my personal approval ratings. Who knows? All I know yeah. is Tom seemed like two degrees away from just a good old hayseed farm boy. And I was like, uh, you made a mistake. You need to learn from it, but I'm gonna let you cook. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, so good. I'm so glad you chose uh, this film because I had never seen it and like <laughs> like Night on Earth which I had confused with another movie in my head I, I knew what broadcast news was uh-huh. but it was like the um, the middle had somehow been replaced with network so yeah I, yeah. I so can't interestingly, even explain Carolyn how yeah. am I allowed to co-host this show with you well I, no, I am the Tom Grunick yeah. of this show it's it, no but it's interesting you say that because like whenever I whenever I mention this film as for me like the definitive film about news and ethics um you know people are always like well network though and and it's like yeah i mean network is you know whatever network is fine i mean network but and and i think network holds that position in in the cultural consciousness of being like the film about like television and news you know ethics and those kinds of things and i think that maybe this film maybe it 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 can't hold that place of prestige because it's kind of a romance you know because it but to me like this film is just is so smart and so perceptive um while also being just um uh yeah just remarkably entertaining and and joyful you know yeah uh, yeah i, I anyway i yeah, love this movie so so full of heart you know yeah. and yet so witty and smart oh yeah very much enjoyed it very much enjoyed it okay carol let us wrap up our discussion of broadcast news with a segment we'd like to bring to the people called some movie <laughs> this is where we pair the film we've just seen with another film we think you'd enjoy carol what you got well i have a little film um uh that's um you know 
also very much, I think, it's very much about a woman uh, working in news and, you know, kind of confronting ways in which um, news is becoming more and more about entertainment and less about substance and who in her own way is crusading to bring substance to the news. Uh, That's a film called The China Syndrome. Um, no, so yes. we watched, yes. we discussed the China, <laughs> we discussed the China syndrome on an earlier episode of Cinema Ball, and, um, and, yeah, like, I just think that, um, that these two films, you know, in the way that they both center, you know, in different ways, uh, women who are working in, in news, you know, Jane, uh, Jane Fonda's character in the China syndrome is constantly kind of belittled and forced to do these kinds of human interest uh, stories, these goofy, like really goofy human interest stories, which are exactly the kind of thing that Jane Craig, uh, uh, yeah, Holly Hunter's character in, in, in this film, um, you know, is crusading against. And so, um, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I just think that I think the two, those two films would make a, a fascinating, um, double feature. Oh, uh, what about it. you? I love it. Um, okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me. This this selection will tell you all about um, my gooey chocolate center. So I am pairing this movie not with anything that speaks to the nature of news or um, politics or women in the workplace, but a film about <laughs> smart guy oh and a dumb guy liking the same girl. Oh. I'm talking about Roxanne. Oh, Steve yeah. Martin's yes, modern yes, yes, telling yes. of the Cyrano de Bergerac uh, story. Yeah. And the reason I'm choosing it is because, again, I have, you know, I don't want to say inexplicable, but probably slightly outsized warmth for the character of Tom Grunick in the same way that I have very warm feelings for the character of Chris, uh, uh-huh. Christian in the original. Um, but one of the things that I love about the movie Roxanne is that all the Chris is very aware that he's not a mental match for Roxanne. Um, he, you know, is very aware that, you know, the attraction um, that the two of them have is primarily physical. And we shouldn't, you know, dismiss the importance of like that kind of physical animalistic you know attraction you can sure you can have with people it's 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 valid um but he's he's aware he's not her mental match but nevertheless he doesn't dismiss what he does have um mm. so mm-hmm. you know he's gonna run off to vegas and be um a blackjack dealer and i don't know there's just something about the way the movie allows him some measure of dignity um and recognizing that no, I'm I'm not an astrophysicist, and I'm not someone who can verbally duel with twenty guys in a bar and you know cut them all down to size. But I am a warm-hearted, good, honest man, and what I have is enough. And you and I will not be together, but that doesn't mean that I'm not worthwhile for someone else. Now we absolutely yeah. should talk about the way the, the film, you know how uh, the characters see. B, uh, played by Steve Martin, you know, 
is allowed to be enraptured with the beauty of Roxanne in a way that she is sort of not allowed to be enraptured with someone else's physical beauty. But that's a Uh larger conversation about the expectations we place upon men and women. So I'm choosing Roxanne as my Samuvier selection for the week. There you go. Yep. All right. Now, uh, Carol, it's time for us to render our verdicts on broadcast news using my messed up little brother's patented 100 star scale as highly respected cinema ambassadors our mission is to spread the word of this incredibly accurate film rating system Mm -hmm. and it's taking off around the globe thanks to you our cinema ball listeners you can find our full list of our episode and rating history and the document linked in the podcast description all right carol how do you rate broadcast news who well um you know i i really think this film is is almost in a class by itself. I think that there. I think that it represents a kind of um, witty, you know, sparkly kind of uh, sharp-witted comedy that, to me, is so reminiscent of the kind of, you know, like screwball comedies of the the '30s and '40s. You know, there's a there's like a sharpness to the dialogue that that recalls for me films like, um, you know, His Girl Friday. Um, and I think that it's, it's, as I've, as I've said throughout the show, I think that it's so perceptive about, um, about, uh, about human, um, I don't want to say human nature, but about, about, um, about attraction and personality and ethics, you know, and, and how these things collide and, um, and how that, uh, does or doesn't impact like the the people that we are drawn to the people that we surround ourselves with the people we want to be with or don't want to be with um i i um i i think that everything it has to say about the standards of journalism is at least as vital um today as it was when this film was released in 1987 um this film is is truly a rare personal favorite for me it's on the very short list of carolyn's all-time favorites and so i am i am bestowing upon it the you know rare honor get james l brooks on the phone broadcast news is cinema ball's first 100 star wow wow i i I can find no words but (laughs) this surely is going to go in the pantheon when In a few years' time, um, producers clamor to pa- to put together like clip shows of the best yeah. bits from Cinema Ball. Yeah, uh, our first and probably only one hundred right. point um, yeah. selection. It, Definitely, it may well end the up. List. That's 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 awesome. I love it. I was glad I was here to witness it. Um, yeah, you just witnessed history, Ebony. You just witnessed history i know especially i know how tough it is for a movie to even crack 80 yeah yeah (laughs) so for something to get 100 that's 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 awesome um but this is this is so hard because as i said i need to go back and watch this this is a film that completely knocked me on my ass in a way that i was not prepared for i expected something much less substantial i loved the space that the director gave to the dialogue in this film. Um, so a film like this <clears throat> that is so smart, so sharp, 
um, can often feel very writerly. And so, mm-hmm. you know, right. uh, sometimes you can feel as if the, yeah. the actors, you, it just feels very performative. It doesn't feel particularly authentic, um, which is, you know, sometimes that can have its own appeal. Like sometimes, you know, yeah. like, uh, the Coen brothers, for instance, sometimes their, their films feel very writerly. Sorkin, um, like Sorkin in particular, you know, is, is a writer that comes to mind when, when people, you know, like I enjoy, I enjoy a good Sorkin walk and talk as much mm-hmm. as anybody. Boy, I, you know, I will eat that stuff up. But yeah, there's a, there, there's definitely, or David Mamet, you know, right. there's a, there's a writerly, you're, you're aware, you're aware of the hand of the writer. Exactly, exactly. And so I, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I appreciated the, um, just the way that the the director sort of let characters sit in a moment and experience things and l- allow us to let things sink in uh, words and phrases and emotions. I just I, I really appreciated mm-hmm. that, and it if anything made it you know um, that much more substantial for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so loved that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I loved how complex the characters were. It would have been so easy for Tom Grunick to have become a kind of very cartoonish villain um, in this film, and that never happened. It would have been very easy for Holly Hunter's character to be a kind of, you know, shrewish um, caricature, and that never happened. Even, you know, Aaron Altman, who, you know, made me very uncomfortable in certain scenes, you know, it would have been very easy for him to lapse completely into kind of like Weasley worm territory, and that never happened. There is a nobility and a grace and a dignity and heart to all of these characters, and I absolutely loved it. So I am giving the film a 93. All right. Yeah, I, I you know, I, to your point about the, the sort of room it gives its characters in the dialogue, you know, one of my favorite little, it's almost a throwaway moment, but it's still one of my favorites in the film is, uh, you know, is after Aaron has been kind of sent home for the day when everyone else is preparing to do the big Libyan, uh, you know, special report, we see him at home and he's just like, he's trying to like occupy himself Mm -hmm. when, when of course his whole mind is of course, like actually on like what's happening at the station, what's happening with the report, you know? And he's like reading a book and he's listening to music at the same time. And he's like, yeah. He's like sings to himself like I can read while I sing. <laughs> I am singing and reading both, and it's just this. It's such a great little, such a great little moment. Oh, so um, good. All right, Ebony. Before we sign off on another broadcast with a cheery good night and good luck, it's time for you to tell us where the USS Cinema Ball is headed next. Carolyn, Marie, Josephine. Uh oh. Ethel, Dorothy, and Pettit. Uh oh. I am, oh boy, this one was hard for me. Okay. okay. Um, because there are so many places to go after this. I know. I know. Even if you just took the three top build people in this movie, William Hurt, Albert Brooks, and Holly Hunter, there's almost nowhere under the sun, you know, and no genre you won't touch. Yes. And then when you get into supporting cast, Robert mm-hmm. Prosky, Joan mm-hmm. Cusack, Jack Nicholson. Okay? I know, like, Jack Nicholson, yeah. <laughs> so I knew from the beginning, this was, I could throw you some amazing curveballs um, from this film, or I could do the grown up thing and actually <laughs> choose something that we would want to both watch again. Eh, where's <clears> the fun <throat> in that? Exactly, right? 
So, uh, so although we don't allow ourselves the, um, the cheat of using those sites where you can connect two movies to another, Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of keep you on your toes. Right. So I I decided I wasn't going to go for something, um, that, that either one of us, I suspected had seen before. Um, so I, I wanted to get deeper into IMDb. You know, yeah, so yeah. once you get past like the first couple of people and then maybe the next 10 people and then you're getting into people who may not even be, they may not, they may be, you know, credited, but their their character may not even have a name. Uh-huh, like, Let uh-huh. me explore yeah. something about these people. But that wasn't enough either. Oh my goodness. I know. Wow. I know. Wow. I was working. I put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. You, I checked yeah. producers. I checked editors. I checked the director of photography. Where would I go? Oh. Where would I take us next? And then oh. Oh. I heard it. Oh. A voice said to me, yeah. check the casting department. Okay. And I looked. Yeah. And there's a person no. in the casting uh. department for uh-huh. Broadcast News named Paula Harold, who okay. only two years before had uh-huh. worked on The Legend of Billie oh! Jean. That's right. That's oh! right, ladies and gentlemen. Oh! I have done it. I have Woo! shot the cinema ball into the basket. Woo! I have carried it across the goal line. I have yes. shot it into the goal. Yes. Cinema ball. Cinema ball. Wow, Ebony, all your hard work paid off. <laughs> You're bringing it home. You Listen. are bringing it home. This is so stupid. Listen, folks, I when I figured this out, I immediately contacted Anita and I was like, I have to tell someone, but you can't tell Carol, but I'm about to win some. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So well, that's no, that's, that's very exciting. I mean, I'm thrilled. You know, this is this is not just your first, you know, goal, but mm-hmm. the first proper goal. Yeah. Uh, you know, in in Cinema Ball, so that's very, very exciting. I, I honestly uh-huh. didn't know if we were going to be able to do it because I think yeah. we've both been playing, you know, a very interesting game, um, yeah. and it's <laughs> it would have been I, I have know, to admit when, in the realm of possibility for us to never yeah. get there. But I just sometimes I didn't. Huh, you yeah. dig in, uh, you know, uh, you I, take a deep uh, breath, and it it happens for you. Clearly, so. as the defender, I did not do my due diligence and check the casting department, you know, and and just ensure that literally nobody involved with this <laughs> film had been involved with that film. So, you know, serves me right for not, uh, you know, for, for, for laying down on the job. You took your eye off the cinema ball and I took my shot. Yep. So, yep. Next yep. week, we yep. are going to finally discuss the 1985 feature length music video, The Legend of Billie I'm, Jean, a I'm film that probably inappropriately uh, has a lot to do with the teenage uh, rebellion. I subsequently engaged in anyways Whoa. that is going to do it for us this week folks thanks so much to simple cast which hosts both this podcast and our flagship show feminist frequency radio thanks also to our amazing producer sarah norales and hey thank you for listening if you like the show take a second and leave a review on itunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcast it is super incredibly helpful in boosting our ratings and helping other folks find our show we will see you back here soon for another episode of cinema ball Until then, the balcony is closed. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) 
Hey, Cinema Ballers! If you've been enjoying this weekly dose of movie mania with me and Ebony, you should check out our big sister podcast, Feminist Frequency Radio. Every Wednesday, join Anita, Ebony, and me as we unleash our irreverent and only occasionally educational feminist opinions on the hot pop culture news of the day and the media we think you should be paying attention to. You can find Feminist Frequency Radio wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And hey, if you like what you hear, sign up at d.rip slash femfreak to get early access to each episode, hilarious bonus content, and exclusive backer rewards. Tune in and find out what everyone is freaking out about.